when we localize our power outside of ourselves and blame other people, then we become a victim, right? We enter victim mentality. Oh, woe is me, poor me. I keep drawing in these men who just like nothing ever works out. And then when you blame others, you don't really have agency or control. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am your host, Rosie Acosta, yoga teacher and teacher trainer, mindfulness coach, speaker, and creative writer. I am also the founder of radicallyloved.com, a website where you can go for more information about yoga, mindfulness, meditation, and lifestyle advice. On this podcast, we talk to people within our health and wellness community that are creating content through the ritualistic practice of yoga, meditation, or overall mindful living. We hope to create value in your life so that you can achieve your highest potential and live a radically loved life. To stay in touch with us, just follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Rosie Acosta and on Facebook at Radically Loved Rosie. You can sign up for our newsletter on radicallyloved.com to stay up to date on future workshops, retreats, and latest podcasts. Anna Yusum is the author of Fulfilled, The Science of Spirituality and How It Can Help You Live a Happier, More Meaningful Life. I was so excited to be introduced to Anna via my good friend, and work wife, Candice Kumai, who connected us with the idea that we would hit it off. And we did. I really enjoyed reading this book. In fact, I couldn't put it down. And I was so excited to have Anna on the show to just talk about her process of getting here and really all the ways that we block ourselves from achieving fulfillment. This was a really incredible conversation that we had. And Anna is an MD. She's a graduate of Stanford University and Yale University School of Medicine. She's a psychiatrist with a private practice in New York City, and she's helped more than a thousand patients lead happier, more meaningful lives. I can't wait to hear what you thought. Here's a conversation with Anna Yusum. Anna, thank you so much for being on the show. Welcome to Radically Loved Radio. I am so excited. I, like I said before we started recording, I've read this book. This is almost my second round through it. This time I'm going through it with the highlighter. I loved everything about this book and um, our our mutual friend, Candice Kumai, who's also been on this podcast before, introduced us and what I find interesting is that for me, you know, I, I get a lot of requests. I get a lot of people approaching me or people sending referrals and stuff. And so I, I always like to look at every single person that comes forth. But when Candace mentioned your name and then we, we chatted via email, there was just something about you that just felt like really good. And so then when I got your book and then I read the book and I couldn't put it down, I was like, oh, this is why we're supposed to connect because you're actually coming into my life to teach me something. <laughs> oh, so- that is so beautiful. And you know, I, I have felt in my own life that way. I've always felt that when the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah. And that's kind of in my own life been precisely what you described. Whenever you're ready for some sort of learning or some sort of expansion, the right person comes in at just that time to give you what you're meant to have. So I am thrilled if that's indeed the case for you. And I'm so happy to be here with you today. Yay. And so for the people that are listening, um, obviously I've, I've already spoken at length to who you are and what you do. Um, the book is called Fulfilled. Um, I'm sorry, 
the book is called Fulfilled. And I, I'm just like dying to get into some of these topics because there's so many things in this book that brought things up for myself that I didn't even know were a thing, if, if that makes sense. Um, because I've been on the spiritual path for a long time too, but there's just certain things that we just don't think about. And I really love how you broke down the, the, uh, this, the spiritual and scientific aspect of it all, uh, because of your background and you know how you came to this place as well. So I'd love to just hear you speak to that a little bit as far as what the connection is and really understanding our own sure. concepts around spirituality and, and why this is something that we really need in our life to achieve fulfillment. Right, right, yes. And so for myself, you know, anyone who writes any sort of book or anybody who in any way is seeking to help others first has to heal themselves. And that's really this idea of the wounded healer and the healer's journey that all of us have our own journey that then if and when we're successful or even throughout the journey, because we're always continuously evolving, we can then take what we know and then apply it to others. So in my own life, that was exactly the case. And I encountered a time um, I did my you know, medical schooling, my residency, and then my life hit a little bump in the road and nothing seemed to be working. Academically, things were, weren't working out. I felt empty inside. Um, and at the same time, I was looking for my soulmate. But what I kept drawing into my life was these emotionally unavailable men, one right after the other. And when you know you have someone like that in your life, they, as soon, as long as you're not available, are totally into you. But then, <laughs> as you want a relationship, you know, they're like, oh, you know, not interested. They run like the wind. And I'm like, why do I keep drawing this into my life? This was like a new pattern. And it was something that I had to really examine because it was causing a lot of pain and adding to this period in my life, which I call the dark night of the soul. Uh -huh. And it was in realizing what was happening that I realized that, you know, there's a spiritual principle at play here. We don't just draw into our lives what we want. We draw into our lives who we are. I was drawing in these emotionally unavailable men because a part of me was emotionally unavailable as much as I hated to admit it. And as much as I wanted commitment and I wanted a husband to get married to, you know, have the next stage of my life, there was as much a part of me that feared losing my independence and any form of subjugation mm -hmm. and really like that level of intimacy that outwardly, at least, I was saying I so deeply wanted. And so realizing this conflict, I then worked the next few years really looking inside myself and trying to work through my conflicts around commitment and intimacy. And it was only then that I was able to draw in the kind of man that truly made me happy and who I feel is my soulmate. And we got married um, a few years ago. Yes, I love that. And I love that you're speaking to, well, you've spoken to like six different topics that I think that we could, we could definitely get into. But I think what's actually pertinent uh, at the moment is this idea of going in, in regard to finding a, a partner relationship going after you know like you said emotionally unavailable men but there's there's an imprint that we have right that's that's trying to fulfill that sort of self 
um, fulfilling prophecy, right? The, there's a template that's within us that that continues to uh, reach for that um, unsustainability, right? To reach for that 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 thing that is just not in alignment with us. So can you speak to that a little bit more? Definitely. And this is one of those things that I refer to in my book as a soul correction. It's that thing that keeps coming up in our life again and again and again, much to our chagrin and dismay, and despite our best efforts to change it. Sigmund Freud referred to this as repetition compulsions, those patterns that we keep repeating that causes great pain, but we don't even know why we keep repeating them. But like you said, it's these self-fulfilling prophecies. Like, one relationship doesn't work out, but then rather than learning from it, we keep repeating that pattern as if by a template. And often those templates, they can come from childhood, they can come from trauma, they can come really also just from genetic imprinting or if you believe in past lives. But it's only when you recognize those patterns that you're able to then step outside of them and become an observer of them and thereby have more free will to actually change the patterns. Wow. Yeah. So there has to be a desire, right? Yes. The desire and the recognition of what's really going on. Because how many of us have been stuck in those patterns again and again, and only after going through it five times and everyone's telling us you keep doing this, but you're like, no, this time it's going to be different, but then it's not different. Only when we have an awareness of what we're bringing to the situation, could we really change it? Right. So I think that this is where we get hung up a lot of the time is because we don't take the time for that self-inquiry, right, to be able to ask ourselves, hey, what is my role in this situation, right? We're always so quick to point the finger and to say things like, oh, it's the other person or it's all these men, it's men in LA or it's men in New York or it's men in... Portland, whatever, wherever, whatever city you're in, you know, that it's important for us to actually be able to reflect on what the common denominator first, right? Exactly, exactly. And that was my whole thing. I was like, what's wrong with these men in New York City? It must be the men. And then you realize, actually, just like you said, no, the common denominator was me, not the men. I kept drawing in these men. And when we localize our power outside of ourselves and blame other people, then we become a victim, right? We enter victim mentality. Oh, woe is me, poor me. I keep drawing in these men who just like nothing ever works out. And then when you blame others, you don't really have like agency or control. Right. And it's only when you start looking within that you take back your control and take responsibility for your life, yes. which is, you know, with the section that you and I talked about was harnessing personal power. Yes. That's one of the most important ways that you harness personal power is take responsibility for everything in your life, no matter what it is. Oh my goodness. This was, a, and like I told you before, this was my, uh, before we started recording, I was telling you how, um, Chapter eight was my favorite, harnessing your personal power. I love that you spoke to relinquishing victim mentality because this is something that personally for me, I grew up around. I grew up around victimhood, you know, like that's just the mentality of my family. It was a mentality that I grew up around that life happens to us and not for us. And so this was such a huge um, lesson to just to learn about the 
the dynamics that this plays on a macro scale. So can you speak to, to that a little bit further? Definitely. You know, and it's one of those things we don't even realize the degree to which we could be adopting victim mentality mm. and blame others because it's not just blaming like the guys or that person or the person who, you know, pushed you in the subway. It's actually like, externalizing your responsibility for anything, including when we blame an unjust world, when we blame our childhoods, when we blame what's going on, you know, with our government on the president. And this is not to say that all those things aren't and weren't in some way problematic and we should take action to change it. Absolutely we should. But often the best way to change something, even something external, is to look within yourself and ask, how is that thing a reflection of what's going on in me. If you don't like what's going on in the world, in the government, etc., ask yourself, how do the qualities that I am projecting and see outside of myself, how do those show up in me? And how can I unearth and really transform that within myself? Once you transform your inner world, your outer world transforms by association. Yeah, I love that. How does that relate to our own like ancestral imprints or cultural imprints? Yeah, it's it's such a great question because, right, we're such a um, amalgam of the cultures that we're a part of, the families we came from, the ancestors, you know, that defined us and our families. And all of those, you know, there's with everybody such positive parts of traditions and habits that we adopted and also some ways of thinking and being that perhaps were adaptive at some point in your family's history or in your ancestry or even earlier in your life but then eventually no longer served you and that's also recognizing the parts of our lives and the narratives that we create that which ones are still serving us now and are still adaptive in our lives? And which ones do we no longer need? Like this idea, for instance, if someone, if mom was cheated on by dad and we grew up with mom saying, you know, men suck, all men cheat. And maybe that was a story that mom needed to be able to overcome her grief, but that was passed on then to her children and maybe that was what the children needed to make sense of a confusing situation. But if all men cheat and men suck is the story that we take with us, is that really serving us? Does that really help us today? That's a really extreme example. But a lot of us have much more subtle messages and stories, such as that women aren't as powerful as men, or, you know, women need to be a certain way, or, you know, need to be even, you know, we need to be a certain way to be lovable. You can't be too assertive, or you can't be too needy or dependent to be lovable. Mm -hmm. And it's those stories that we take with us and those narratives that we give so much power and which ones are no longer adaptive? Which ones no longer serve us now? Yeah, yeah, I think that's so that's so true for for a lot of us uh, to be able to actually ask those questions. You spoke to having a, a dark night of the soul, and I kind of want to backtrack a little bit because for me, this was a, a pivotal moment uh, in my spiritual path, in my journey to yoga and to meditation and to spirituality. 
having that that visceral feeling of of the disconnect right so can you just give the audience a little bit of background of what the dark night of the soul is and and maybe your process of reconciling it and how we came to this place of feeling fulfillment Sure, yes. And so the dark night of the soul is often what catapults people into change and transformation. And it's this idea that you have to hit rock bottom before you're finally ready to turn around. You might not even know that you're hitting rock bottom. And I think that was the case for me because I was never like really fulfilled. I was kind of, you know, going through my life path, doing what I thought I needed to do, going to medical school, being a good student, smiling at everybody all the time. And on the I look really, really happy. And at times I certainly was. And I was being, you know, like always the good girl, the good daughter, the good friend, the good this, the good student. And when you do that, you know, at my core, there was this people pleaser part of me. And I felt like I had to live up to everybody's expectations. And because I was rewarded for doing that my whole life, like this was one of my narratives that, you know, being a good girl, it gets positive results. Keep doing it. And because throughout my life, I got so much reinforcement, I kept doing that until I realized I really wasn't feeling fulfilled. Something was amiss. And I only recognized and started to like introspect, to start to be more introspective about it, um, when I felt that emptiness within and realized that all my past behaviors no longer are leading to the fulfillment that either I felt or I was trying to fool myself into feeling. And so I was like, well, it was also, that was when everything started crashing down around me with the guys and with like not feeling fulfilled in my career. And that was when I thought, well, here I am as a psychiatry resident, I'm supposed to be a healer. I have all these years of training and healing tools under my belt, but yet I'm feeling myself so unfulfilled. I feel like such a failure. I feel like such an imposter. How in the world am I going to help other people when I can't even help myself? And that was my dark night of the soul, the rock bottom that catapulted me into my own healing journey. And so my healing journey proceeded in my saying, well, if the healing tools don't lie in my field in psychiatry, maybe they lie outside in something I haven't yet studied. And something that I never studied and that was never mentioned to me, not even once in medical school or residency, was this idea of the soul. I felt somehow disconnected from my soul. So I went on the search to understand my soul and start to realign and reconnect with my soul. It took me to ashrams in India, to learning Buddhist meditation in Thailand, studying Kabbalah in Israel and then here in New York City, and working with shaman in South Africa and South America. And in the course of this, I started learning all these other perceptions of health and healing and stability and mental well-being that were never really taught to me in medical school. And as I went through this process, what I also realized is that my own darkness began to lift and I started feeling more full, more fulfilled in a way I haven't for so many years because I was trying to do what was authentically my own. And I was no longer being that people pleaser I had been for so long. Mm -hmm. So that's like a bit of my journey. Yeah, yeah. And I, I really love that it took you into this place of exploring all kinds of different modalities and all kinds of different uh, belief systems. And so I'm curious, studying all these different 
ways of, of connection and, um, path to, you know, feeling more fulfilled or enlightenment, which, how were you able to really integrate all of these into your own spiritual journey? Right. And so when the student is ready, the teacher will will appear. Uh So apparently I was finally ready. And for me, of all the different traditions, which were all so powerful and all affected me in profound ways, the one that I most resonated with, possibly because um, there is a center literally around the corner for me, was Kabbalah. And so I started studying Kabbalah and started taking classes and learning about this age-old esoteric tradition and how it views the world and healing and energy. And that's really what started to change the way that I um, was living my life. So in all of our um, classes, we're taught to amass things. We're taught to amass accomplishments and material things and power and status and friends and all this really to fill some sort of deep void. And in Kabbalah, there's this idea that everything here in the material world in that way is actually just 1% of all reality. Whereas here we believe it's 100%. Mm -hmm. And in Kabbalah, they believe 99% of reality actually is unseen and unheard. It's something that's much greater. And so it's about giving more energy and um, to that 99% reality and learning how to tap into it. And then they gave a lot of tools as to how to tap in to really to your soul and help to elevate your consciousness by going against your nature and by starting really to receive um, and to give in a different way. Yeah. So I, and I like that because there it's implicit of, of our own ability to be open to receiving the lessons, right. And the gifts that, that are being given to us when we ask for them. Right. Exactly. Because, exactly. Right. Because sometimes it happens where we're asking for a change or we're asking for help or we're just needing a break or something like we ask for it. And then sometimes when it when it gets here, when it arrives, we can sometimes miss it. Right. And some and, and hopefully for the most part, we're awake to what is happening and what is coming. But there are moments where we can be, you know, not awake to the lessons that are in front of us. Exactly. Or that we ask for something like our soulmate and we have such a specific criteria as to how that person or even, you know, a job, we can ask the universe for a job or God for a job. We have such specific criteria as to how that either person or job must present that something could be given to us that could be so much better for us than even we know, but we miss it because our expectations are too narrow. We're too caught up in appearances or in what we believe to be the way that things need to manifest. And when you have that, when you try to control everything, you're not open to the doors that could miraculously open and enable you to see a whole new dimension. Wow, yeah, I I really, I think that's so true. Um, can, you, can you talk to us about the importance of forgiveness on our path to achieving a fulfilled life. Definitely. And forgiveness um, fits in really well with this idea of harnessing your personal power because one of the things that robs us of our power is resentment, Mm. resentment and anger. 
there is nothing that can zap us more and take away more energy and be a more inefficient way of living our lives than to be constantly resentful and angry. Probably all of us at some point in life have felt like that. And forgiveness is the thing that can turn that around. But people have a lot of objections to the idea of forgiveness. And they're like, well, how can I forgive this person? They really wrong me. And so that's why we want to kind of turn this idea of forgiveness on its head. And to help people realize that the person most benefiting from forgiveness isn't the person being forgiven. It's you. Because the very act of forgiveness frees you from having to carry around in your heart the anger, hatred, resentment, rage, whatever it is that you've been holding on to for so long. You free yourself from that. And forgiveness does not mean that you condone whatever happened. It doesn't mean that you'd be okay with it happening again. And you can actually only forgive if ever you have indeed been a victim of something. You can only forgive once you have set for yourself appropriate boundaries where you feel safe. That's a necessary prerequisite to forgiveness. And until that happens, forgiveness is really, really difficult. Yeah, because it, I, I didn't realize how much of it, you know, had to happen because we think that sometimes us not thinking about a, a, a person or a, an event that has caused that resentment in our lives, if we just don't think about it, that that means we can continue on our spiritual path or, right. or our, yeah. you and know, we just sweep yeah. it under the rug. Yeah. And I feel yeah. like this is, this is something that we don't really speak to because we're so we're so focused on feeling better that we don't we don't realize how much dealing with the stuff that makes us feel bad is going to make us feel better exactly exactly and that's such an important point too because you're exactly right we live in this culture that it's like we want to jump from wherever we are to to a place of happiness wellness well-being positivity optimism and those are all wonderful things i'm all for all of those things but to be a whole human being you have to feel the other side too it's part of being human and that means letting yourself grieve when you need to grieve not just grieving the death of somebody but grieving losses in your life grieving pains in your life grieving expectations that were never actualized it's a really important process and the grieving process involves sadness. It involves anger. It involves going through a lot of difficult feelings that as human beings, sometimes we don't like to go there. And especially men, you know, in our society, men are conditioned that two feelings are okay and that's lust and rage. And the rest of the feelings, all the other things, oftentimes they're buried within those two feelings. So in working with men as a psychiatrist, you have to go and decipher, wow, you're feeling really, really pissed off. I get that. But what's underneath that? Let's see what other feelings could be in there. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like that. Everything really starts with a question. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so can you speak to the synchronicity of our lives and how to be awakened to that? That to me, I this is again another question of the book that I really loved um, because I do believe in synchronicity, obviously. Um, so can you speak to how that has a role in our uh, spiritual journey? Definitely. Yes. Yeah. So synchronicity is a term that was coined by Swiss psychiatrist Carl Jung to define meaningful coincidences in our life. 
And so for instance, you um, have a dream about somebody and bump into them in the street the next day. Or you haven't heard about someone in ages and they kind of come into your mind and then they call you later that day. Is that a coincidence? Yes. Is that coincidence meaningful? If indeed it's meaningful to you, that's a synchronicity. For a lot of people, they see synchronicities as like a wink from God or a notation from the universe that you're on the right path. Keep going. That is when the synchronicities are positive. There also could be negative synchronicities where everything you do, no matter what, despite your best efforts, the door keeps being slammed in your face. We've all certainly experienced things like that. That could be a series of negative synchronicities that some people will think imply change course. You're going the wrong way. So the idea of synchronicity as I see it is a way for us to really interact with the universe and to be guided by the universe. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the most important part of that is to realize whatever meaning we give to the events, it's our meaning. We create the synchronicities. That's meaningful to one person could be completely meaningless to another. Like a friend of mine, he got his medical school locker combination and realized that that combination was the birthday of his current girlfriend. That was really meaningful to him. And for him, it told him that he was with the right person at the right time. For another person, it could be completely meaningless. For um, another friend of mine, um, and this is like date synchronicities. There's so many others. Yeah. Um, yeah, she was making a brownie mix one day, and she got that brownie mix. It was in the home of this man that she broke up with way, way, way back. And um, she happened to decide to make the mix that very day, and was kind of also lamenting a little bit at the time, her single status. Why am I single? Why ever find the right person? She looked at the expiration date on that brownie mix, which she got years ago, and it was that very day. <laughs> it was expiring Whoa. that. For her, that was like this beautiful little thing. You know what? This is from the universe. I'm on the right path. Whatever is happening, everything timeline-wise is exactly where it needs to be. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That, is, that gives me the chills, you know, because I think about stuff like that. Those things, I, I so believe in, in the power of, you know, manifestation and synchronicity um, because I, I feel like we always get what we ask for. You know, we always get what we ask for. And that goes into negative idealistic mind frames as well. You know, like these states of, 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 you know, when we get into this anxious place, I feel like when we're worried too, those things also can manifest themselves into realities, right? Absolutely. Where attention goes, energy flows. And we often don't realize that because we create with our mind, we create our reality. But often what we're creating aren't the things we want, but the things that we most worry about and we most fear precisely because we're giving them so much energy in our mind. Thoughts are such a powerful form of energy. And it's by changing your thoughts that you can actually change your life and your reality. So if I had to say, if I asked you, um, I said, if there's three things we need to focus on to create a fulfilled life, what top three things would they be? Number one, authenticity, living an authentic life, separate from what anyone else expects of you, but really what your soul expects of you to really align with your soul. 
That's first and foremost. Number two is to identify what your soul corrections are in this world. And to, you know, your soul corrections are those challenges your soul has come into this world to correct. And for everybody, it's something different. And you can know your soul correction by asking yourself the question, what's the greatest source of pain in my life? When you know what that source of pain is and recognize it as a soul correction, it changes its focus. It's no longer like your enemy or this great obstacle. It's really that thing that your soul has come into this world to correct. And you can define your life and organize your life around working to change it and grow through that. And then the third thing is connecting to a part of something greater, like realizing that we live in a universe, um, whether that be a God-based universe or just a secular universe, but something that really is united and interconnects us all, that is a positive force and can guide us and can protect us. And the more that we're able to tap in and the more open we are to that guidance, the more that we can have it actually be a positive force in our life. Yeah. Oh, this is so great. I'm like, if we could just do those three things and everything would be wonderful. <laughs> life. life would be so much easier. I know. <laughs> so I always ask this to my guests that come on. Um, if there was uh, a knowing from when you were a child to now your entire life, if you had a knowing of what the landscape of your life would look like or feel like. You know, sometimes I ask people if there was an on of uh, a recurring mantra or if there was some sort of vision that you had your entire life that you still have today. It's so interesting, right? Because for me, my life didn't end up like I thought at all. I came from a you know family of scientists and researchers, and here I am, this spiritual person. So. I think that the most important thing I would say is to really be open to doors that can open for you unexpectedly and to really consider walking through those doors, especially if it challenges all of the beliefs about how you see the world, because you, your life can end up somewhere you don't expect, but which is much, much better than where you ever really expect it to be. I love that. If you could go back to your 15-year-old self, what advice would you give her now? So that was way back in high school when I was working so, so hard. I went to a residential high school as like a math and science school. And that was the first time I was away from home. And I think that I was more sleep deprived then than I had ever been at any time in my life. And I always joke that like I'm my height is five, six. But I think that all the sleep deprivation of high school stunted my growth and I probably should be like six feet. Oh. And if I slept more, <laughs> everything would have been different. And I took everything. You know, and on one hand, all of my hard work, it paid off. It got me into the good schools. That was all wonderful. But if I had to do it all over again, I would just tell myself not to worry so much, to get more rest, to take it easy more, to, you know, to keep working hard and do all those things. But really just that not to sweat the small stuff as much as I used to. Wow. And what would um, your 95-year-old self tell you now? That's a great question. My 95-year-old self would say to 
This, yeah, actually, it would very interestingly be the same advice because sometimes I'm like, hey, I'm a psychiatrist. I have my practice, which is wonderful, which I love so much. I wrote the book. Well, what next? What next? And the 95-year-old self would say, keep living your life. The doors will open just like they always have. And so, yeah, I think it, it would be the same thing, not to worry, to not worry. Well, I mean, I, I have so... I'm like, I have so many other questions, (laughs) but I think just like on a personal note, I I am so grateful that you wrote this book. It really, like I said, um, demonstrated a lot of things. It it validated a lot of things that I'm doing, and it also allowed me to inquire more deeply. So I, I really do love this book, and I hope that the listeners listening to your voice and listening to the stuff that we're talking about are compelled to pick this book up. Um, I have just two more questions for you, if that's okay, um, before we wrap up. So the first one is pertaining to this uh, this podcast, and I created this podcast as a way for people to feel connected to radical love and to understand that the universe works for us and not against us and that we live in a world where if we pay close attention, we can see how we are radically supported um, by God, source, universe, whatever higher power of your understanding. So the question to you is, it's a two-part question. And the first part is, how do you feel radically loved? And the second is, what do you radically love? Oh, such great questions. And I love your podcast. And I love that that's the philosophy (laughs) on which your podcast is based. I feel like we're so aligned because that's really what I try to do with my patients in my practice. And as a psychiatrist, it's quite unusual because things are usually so medication-based and neurotransmitter-based. And here you are with this beautiful, you know, perspective that is completely up my alley. I love that. And also about radical love, you know, what's the purpose of life? It's really that. It's to radically love. It's to love with your full heart and to be happy. The purpose of life is to love. Now, in answer to your questions, um, how do I feel radically loved? I feel that, you know, the universe, thank God, has been really good to me. And whenever I have been in a dark space, and I've described some of them, there was always a light at the end of the tunnel, and the light took me to much better and unanticipated positive places. So I think that that's one of the ways that whenever I've fallen, it's the universe that's picked me up. I could say it was myself, but so many miracles have happened that it wasn't myself. It was something much bigger than me. So that's number one. And what do I radically love? Yeah. Love the universe. I love my husband. I love my work. I love helping patients. And I think that's really like at the core, like I feel that in my life, I'm doing really what I love and feel very aligned with my purpose of being able to help people, speak with people, help people discover what they themselves radically love and remove the blockages in their own life to fulfillment. Wow. Oh, I love that. Thank you so much. Um, Anna, where can we go for more information about you and where can we get your book and uh, connect with you if if, um, the listeners have questions and just want to learn more about you? Sure. Thanks so much, Rosie. Yes. uh, My website is AnnaUsum.com, which is A-N-N-A-Y-U-S-I-M. Dot com and my book is available on the website or on Amazon or wherever books are sold and um, I'll give you also my phone number which is 
727-927-9437. Oh, my, my eyes just went wide. I'm like, that's the first time anyone's ever given their phone number <laughs> to everyone. Okay. You never know who needs to call you. <laughs> wow. There, so everyone listening right now, that's awesome. Uh, call her and just tell her how much you loved this episode. Anna, thank you so much. Again, I just want to take a moment to thank you for all the work that you've done and for putting all of your wisdom and your journey together in this beautiful book called Fulfilled. Um, so for those of you listening, all of the links to Anna and how to get in touch with her will be on the show notes of this particular episode. If this spoke to you in any way, inspired you, please share this, write a review, share it with your friends, and please let us know how we can be of service. Anna, thank you so much again for sharing your love and your wisdom with us. I'm so grateful for you and I'm so happy that we got to connect. Thank you so much, Rosie. It's a pleasure. And I wish you all the best with your goals and with your podcast. Yay. Thanks, Anna. You're the best. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. I am so excited to continue to do this. Please share this with your friends. Email us. Message us on Instagram at Rosie Acosta or on Twitter at Rosie Acosta. Subscribe on iTunes. Write a review. We love doing this, so please help us continue to keep this podcast going. Thanks for listening. Is there something missing in your life? Is there something that you want to do in the world to create an impact but feel that it's overwhelming? So many of us walk through life feeling unsatisfied, overwhelmed, tired, and desperate for a deeper connection, but don't quite know how to achieve the things that we want in life. Join us this spring at the Dunsky Castle in Scotland for seven days of yoga, meditation, and yoga nidra, all focusing on finding your life's purpose. During our time together, we will learn how and when to take action, how to lead from our heart and not our head, how to break up with our inner critic for good, and dive deep into learning about desire and discipline and how this creates a purposeful life. For more information, go to radicallyloved.com or you can message us at info at radicallyloved.com, subject Scotland. We'll see you soon.